Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another awesome episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer. And Maria here. And we are so very excited to have this super special guest on, Alan Alford. You may know him already. In fact, I bet a lot of you already do know him already. He is the host of the Cyber Ranch podcast, which is also on the Hacker Valley Network. And he's a CISO at TrustMap. And on top of that, and what makes him so very special and interesting to talk to, is that he was also previously a CMO at TrustMap. So he has the experience of both the CISO and the CMO, and he's here to school us on how to use your security personnel and your CISOs in your marketing efforts. We're so happy to have you, Alan. Well, thanks for having me. This is super cool. I've been wanting to do this for a while now. And you're also known as the happiest CISO on the block. The happiest CISO on the block. That's me. Big old grin everywhere I go. Awesome. So how about we start with, Alan, just tell us like a little bit about yourself and your journey to get to CMO and then CISO. And, you know, how did you even get here? Yeah. So I, years and years and years and years ago, was an IT person. Did that for a good while and rose through the management ranks and got to where I was running operations for about a third of a global company's entire infrastructure and personnel for IT. And it was a company that produced video conferencing products. And I made the switch over to the product side of the house and began developing secure versions of the products for that company. So I kind of took my security expertise from IT and applied it to the product side. And in the earliest stages of that effort, I got to do product management. I got to do product marketing. I got to do competitive marketing. I got to do QA. I got to do development, R&D, like every facet of this operation to develop a secure product line for this video conferencing product was under my aegis. So I kind of got a taste of everything back then. And then eventually the career morphed and evolved and I became a CISO and then a CISO again and a CISO again. And Chris and Ron call me the habitual CISO. I've done it so many times at this point. But I never forgot those product marketing and product management days. Like I always enjoyed that aspect of the job, especially the competitive marketing was always really fun for me. And so recently at TrustMap about a quarter ago, actually a little more than a quarter ago now, we had an exit in the marketing leadership And the opportunity came in for someone to step in and take over, and I volunteered. Um, I was the CISO and CTO, and suddenly here I was volunteering to take over the marketing organization. But I wanted to do it because I wanted to learn. I wanted to immerse. I wanted to get deeper into it. I wanted to learn more about that taste I'd gotten of marketing way back in the day on the product side of the house. I wanted to blow that up to the executive level and learn more about the big picture view of marketing. So I did it. I did it for, I don't know, four or five months, I guess. And I recently transitioned it back away to the CEO and handed it to him. We're getting a new marketing person in. We've got a new team hired and all kinds of new activity in that four to five months. But it was a super enjoyable and very, very, very learning experience for me. Would you do it again? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. It was fun. Ah, see? A little walk on the darker, darker side. (laughs) There you go. There you go. How did you even start? Like, what was your setup? What did you do when you first advocated for this position? You have some experience already in product marketing, but a CMO is a completely different role. Very different role. Yeah. So what, what, what did you do to start? Well, I guess, you know, one thing to keep in mind is I'm, I'm at a startup. And so we all wear lots of hats anyway, right? I mean, this is standard startup physics. You get to wear a lot of hats. And so it wasn't super 
a characteristic for me to go, hey, I'll do that. You know, the boss was like, well, what do you know about marketing? And I tell him I've done product marketing. I've done, you know, competitive marketing. I said, you know, social media, obviously, I'm probably the strongest social media presence in the company. And so, you know, let's add all that together and, you know, we'll make this work. I said, all we need to talk about is artifacts, campaigns, you know, lead gen. I didn't know what demand gen was at the time. Now I do. I was calling it lead gen, you know, getting the top of the funnel built and getting campaigns running and, and getting artifacts going and getting, you know, good conversion rates over to sales. So I figured I can tackle that. And I did. We actually had during the four or five months I was doing it, we actually had a huge boom in all of those statistics. So talk us through the boom. What was that secret sauce? Because we we all know security practitioners hate forms, so they do not yeah. like gated content. What yep. are some of the things that you did to, to change that and, and get some good pipeline going? So I guess, you know, first and foremost, whenever I'm in that marketing mode, I always ask myself, what would I as the CISO put up with, tolerate? What would I be willing to do in exchange for what, right? So you come up with a cool artifact. Like we came up with, we've got an annual report on cybersecurity performance management and all the statistics harvested from the product and, you know, trends and analysis of the industry and all kinds of cool jazz. And it's actually a pretty good little report, if I say so myself. It's, it's pretty neat. It was one of these things of, okay, so we want to give this out, and this is obviously a marketing effort. We want to generate leads off of it, but we don't just hand it out willy-nilly. We need to verify that people are who they say they are and not the competition and not just somebody that's some college kid, you know, whatever. We wanted it to be legitimate leads. And so I worked with the marketing team that ran the website and basically told them, like, bare minimum, we're going to ask for the least amount of information possible to fill that need to validate and no more. And they're going to get it as soon as they fill out that info. They're going to get the report. We did, and it worked. We got quite a number of clicks. We got quite a number of leads. We got quite a number of people who followed up. And that was one example of when it really worked. Social outreach, social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. My instructions to the team were basically, there's a million and one cyber companies out there that are all claiming the same stuff, right? We're, we're the one and only solution. We're the one you need to solve blah, blah, blah problem. Or even worse, we're the one that solves all the problems. I told them, I said, look, don't worry about trying to be another voice in that storm. Like, blow that off put some personality into it. Something that sets us apart that makes us have a personality and a social media presence. Like, like I don't care about the rest. You're going to get the facts out one little trickle at a time, regardless of how you do it, but get them out in a fun and engaging way. And don't worry about trying to upsell at the moment of marketing, just something short and sweet, but with some personality to it and start doing that. And we started doing that and we got a huge growth on social media just from that one aspect of it alone. I actually told the gal that runs social media for us, I actually told her, I said, are you familiar with Wendy's on Twitter? And she said, no. I said, go study Wendy's on Twitter. I said, we're not going to be that snarky because we can't get away with being that snarky in cyber. But the whole point is it's just oozing personality and it kind of almost... Like, how often does the Wendy's post have anything to do with hamburgers, right? Like, it's personality, 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 a dash of what they're actually selling. Personality, 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 dash of what they're selling. And I basically said that that should be our approach. Like, start doing more personality. And I don't know that we've quite gotten there. I think it's still evolving. We've got a whole team now assembled around that social media presence. But we definitely upticked it. We definitely got a lot more followership. We got a lot more attention. We got a lot more traction. We got a lot more engagement. And we did it all through trying to not be just pounding our drum and making our claims, right? I think what you did there, Alan, is humanize the brand, right? Mm -hmm. Like adding personality in. Uh, robots don't have person. I don't know any robots that have personality. I don't think robots have personality. And a lot of us in cyber social are just posting 
you know, like, here's a factoid, here's a thing, here's a bland sentence. We're all afraid of doing something outlandish or doing something different or outside the box. And yet, that's one of the biggest problems that marketers have in cybersecurity is standing outside of the status quo and being different and standing out. Yeah. On the social media topic, obviously, you are an experienced CISO. You come with your own Rolodex of network that trust you, that follow you, and think of you as a thought leader. And that makes it so easy. So I envy Trust Matt for having you. Right. right. <laughs> um, but for others that are just getting started in this, let's just say LinkedIn, what is some advice that you would give them on why they should pay more attention to LinkedIn and maybe invest a little more time into it? Yeah. So, you know, my 25,000 followers, I, I told the team, we're not going to use my account to publish directly any marketing materials for TrustMap. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's my brand. That's my 25,000. I earned that. That's mine. You guys can do your own. I'll support. I'll comment. I'll share maybe. But I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to use me and my network as the platform. That was one of the rules I drew in the sand, one of the lines I drew. And so, that meant that we were effectively, to a certain extent, starting brand new. And so what I tried to do was, you know, the same thing you do with anybody. If you've got anybody in your network that has more connections than you do, see if you can get them to share or comment or like. In the case of TrustMap, I was that first one to share a comment or like, and obviously, boom, 25,000 right there. But we encouraged everybody in the company to do it. Every single person in the company, I'm working with them one at a time, everyone in my organization and helping them get their own personal brand and their own LinkedIn presence going. I'm just doing this on the side because, you know, hey, they deserve this too. And then it's like, hey, you know, the price of that is you're going to forward and share and like and link some trust map stuff on occasion. And I don't expect everyone to just be some sort of shill and just click, click, trust map, click, click, trust map, click, click, trust map. But, you know, the idea is like everybody should be involved to some extent. So getting the whole company involved, getting them all roped in, leveraging networks where possible. And again, just... Too often, companies worry about it, and we're back to that Wendy's model. My boss lets me jump on any damn podcast I want to, right? Like, I can, I can go podcast, I can do video stuff, I can do a, a live thing, I can, I'm flying to New York to go to some conference, I'm whatever. Like, I just go places. And the way we see it at TrustMap is, if Alan goes and does something, and Alan is on the mic, and Alan is smart, hopefully I am, uh, and Alan doesn't screw up, hopefully I don't, um, and then somewhere in there is, uh, by the way, trust map, that's enough brand affiliation. That's all that's required. If I come up here and I'm like, trust map this and trust map that and buy trust map, you know, no one's going to listen. I mean, to that's kind of catchy. No one's going to, that's a good song. <laughs> no one's going to care. Right. But if I'm just, if I'm just being me and sharing my stuff and doing, you know, God forbid, I call it thought leadership, but you get the idea. And then the TrustMap brand gets to kind of ride on my coattails and, you know, hey, if people are interested and think this guy's smart and knows what he's doing, maybe he joined that company for a reason and maybe they know what they're doing. And that's about all the affiliation that I feel is required. Like, I don't, I don't want anyone else in the company, including myself, to be doing any more than that. I think what you had was a case study in influencer marketing, you being the influencer and TrustMap being company. Mm -hmm. So even though you couldn't even though you set these parameters on yourself to not be just a trust map, I, I tried it. It doesn't sound as good as when you do it, Alan. You know, I got to say, it still sounds like your shine shined off on the company, of course, because people know you and they know that you're reputable and you've been a CISO over and over and over again. And so you gave this light to everybody at TrustMap and everybody that you've worked with at TrustMap individually on their socials. So I will say that. Yep. So I'm going to push back on you a little and that there was no starting point. There was definitely a starting point, but it was okay, still good. Enough. <laughs> Fair enough. And so the second thing is your company leadership and your whole company 
this sounds like a great company culture to me. You're allowed to go out and evangelize in a way mm-hmm. that isn't just all trust map so that you get right. you and all of your social media, you know, all of your employees can go on social media and have a per and build personal brands, right? Because yep. it's not just about trust map. It's about building a personal brand so that they're known as a person. And oh, hey, once they're known, oh, by the way, they also work at trust map, which is awesome. Yep. So Alan, what are some things that you tried that didn't work when you were CMO? Oh, my biggest failed effort of them all. And it was the one that confused me because I was approaching it with a pure CISO brain. And when I first got started, this was the first big thing we did. And I was like, oh, this is going to work because CISOs love this kind of thing. And I'm a CISO and I know what I'm doing because I'm a CISO. And I CISOed the heck out of it. And it turned out to have like zero marketing appeal. We put together a ransomware assessment. The idea was we'll give away a freebie uh, using our product and platform to assess yourself for ransomware. It was only 32 questions. It was based on uh, on an industry standard document that others produced. Like, in other words, we weren't making something up. We took we took a, a, an established framework, we put it into the product, and we gave it away for free. And I thought, who's not going to want that? Everybody cares about ransomware. It's only 32 questions. You can answer it really quick, fast, in a hurry. You get the full capabilities of the product, and how cool is that, right? We got like five people. And I was like, something is dramatically and radically wrong here. And I talked it over. I talked it over with some other CISOs and started like, you know, hey, what, you know, why is, what's going on here? Why am I not getting traction? Like, I thought everybody would want this. And two answers spilled out. One, I violated my own piece of advice that I gave at the beginning of the show, which was don't be another voice in the storm, right? You go look. I think everybody and their dog has a ransomware assessment, whether that's even what they do or not in cyber. Like everybody's got a ransomware assessment. So it's like, oh yeah, another one of those. And then the other piece was, and I should have known better than this being a CISO. I was so blinded by my own enthusiasm. I forgot this piece, which is name one CISO on planet earth who can casually, without any kind of relationship or commitment, commit 30 minutes to anything to answer the survey and mm-hmm. fill it out, right? So it was like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this brilliant thing that we created, and, and the assessment is cool. Like, I, it's good. We knew what we were doing. We did a good job. Um, so the trick is to get the engagement and get the artifact to actually do something meaningful and be useful to people because we really are giving it away for free. And I talked it over with a former boss of mine, a CISO over at NTT. And he was like, you know, not only is it the voice in the storm problem, but it's the 30-minute problem. He said, you've got to do something different. You've got to lead with a smaller bite. And so I'm now working on a whole new approach. We're going to relaunch the entire thing and we're going to start with back to the social media and the cool little presence there. Picture just like three to five questions, provocative, make you stop and think questions related to ransomware. And if you answer these in a way that makes you go, huh, now click here and go do the thing and it only takes 30 minutes of your time. Lead with something small and digestible. Lead with something that's engaging and thought-provoking. And then take them to the next step and and don't make the 30 minute commitment the first step. So that's what we're going to be doing next. And I think that's going to hopefully solve the problem because it really is a cool assessment. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. 
Can we ask you to put your CISO hat back on? Sure. What, as a CISO, do you find engaging and thought-provoking when you're scrolling around social media? Yeah, the challenge with an established CISO is whether they do or don't, they're going to think to some extent that they already know what they're doing, right? In other words, been there, done that. I already got a pretty solid handle on the tech stack that I want. Now, obviously, innovation happens, and obviously, new technology does, in fact, come out. But that moment of new is a really tricky moment to get into a CISO brain, right? Like, it's not easily crowbarred in. And the reason for that is everybody and their dog claim to be innovators. Everybody and their dog claim to be disruptors. Yeah, everyone claims they're doing something different than what all the others are doing. It's a challenge, I think, to get into the CISO's mind with that with that kind of approach. And so what happens is, especially somebody who's already been a CISO before, they're going to enter the new shop. They're going to do a risk assessment. They're going to figure out where they are. They're going to figure out what's going on, what, you know, what their position is. And then they're going to take a look at the tech stacks they've always used, and they're going to start judiciously applying them as they fit to the new environment, perhaps seeking out one or two new pieces of technology. And if that perhaps is true, the first thing they're going to do is go to all their CISO buddies. I'm on Slack groups with hundreds of CISOs, hundreds. And if I want to know, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm doing EDR and I'm curious about NDR, you know, who knows about NDR? Poof, you know, dozens of answers immediately. And so what that means is that any amount of marketing that's trying to tell me, hey, we're NDR and we're the cool thing and you need us and da 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 there's a real challenge there for them to get into my brain because the odds are I'm going to reject their presence in the first place until such a time as I decide I need them. And then I'm probably going to go seek counsel from peers and, and then I'm going to make my move. So it's a, it's a really small moment to be able to, as any marketer whatsoever for any cyber, anything, that really small moment that you can just jump in there and say, hey, you have a problem. I'm not going to tell you what I am. I'm going to, I'm going to ask if you have this problem. And if you do have this problem, you might want to check us out because we think we're a pretty cool solution for that problem. And always lead with that problem statement because the CISO is already probably thinking I need NDR. But right before that moment was, you know, I got pretty good visibility on my endpoints, but I could sure use more on my network. Need more visibility on your network? Come see us. We're NDR. And it's that kind of a it's that kind of a moment, I think, that that the marketers have to capture. And it's a tricky moment because for the tens of thousands of CISOs out there, you're trying to capture that millisecond of brain space with any given marketing message, right? And so I think the trick is to meet CISOs where their challenges are and not to try to just thrust solutions at them. Because your web presence alone is enough for a Google search. Once I've decided I want to buy NDR, I'm going to Google, what are the best NDR solutions? And a name or two will pop up. And then I'm going to Google, who competes with name one? Oh, names two and three. Who competes with names two and three? Oh, look, finally, I got a list of five or six players in this space. That's all just off of Google searching websites. So if your website simply notes what you do, you'll show up in that whole search method, right? So the trick is to say, here's the problem space that we address and, and to try to shoehorn into that CISO's brain right at the moment the problem arises, but before the solution has appeared. It's tricky. And that, and that really, really special moment happens in dark socials, it happens outside of LinkedIn, it happens outside of any tracked links that we could set up or any forums or, and and that's why communities are, are the thing now. I mean, I, we yep. see it happen in society, right? In the vendor channel, who, mm -hmm. who's mm -hmm. worked with such and such and who's done ABM lately and, and that sort of thing. So 
Yep, that is precisely it. And it's um, so it, it puts a real burden on the marketers, right? Because these Slack channels are going to judiciously guard themselves against vendors and marketing folks, right? I mean, like when you get 100 CISOs together, the last thing one is to be sold at in their, in their secret place where they share notes. And CISOs do share notes. That's the other thing, too. Make sure you don't work for a company whose product actually sucks because that'll come out no matter how good the marketing is. If the product sucks, all the CISOs are going to be talking about how the product sucks, um, so don't forget that piece too. like do your own research as you take your marketing jobs and make sure you're entering a company whose solution actually is worthy. What are some other things you wish like marketing folk knew? How can we be better? I think the biggest cyber marketing problem is that everybody believes their own BS. You, you live in a department and the department is contained within the company. And you've got these engineers that are producing these solutions and you've got these product managers that are coming over and saying, hey, we got this thing and it does this thing and it is. And you start to learn a little bit about it and you start to immerse yourself in it. And pretty soon you get into this closed feedback loop of product management, product marketing and developers all going in a circle. And you pretty soon start to believe every single thought you've had about the product is, is legit and real. And you forget that you're part of an ecosystem and you forget that you're part of a, a competitive landscape. And it's insane to me how marketing professionals will literally reach a point where they actually truly believe, 100% internalized have believed, we are the solution. You're never the solution unless you are a true innovator. And that is like one in 10,000. You are a solution, right? And it, it's a huge difference. I, I think believing your own hype can get you in trouble. And, and I mean that in an internal, in your own brain as a marketer kind of, kind of way. And, and I think it's imperative to always know what the com competition is doing, to always be able to truly validate and, and, and fairly assess like, oh, you know what? They're actually better at that bit than we are. Hey, guys, get on that. You know, and, and know where you stand. Marketing too often is, is sidelined from the bad news about the product and from the good news about the competitors. And marketing is too often sidelined from you know, what we do is cool, but we don't do everything. We only do this bit here. And there's three other bits right around this bit that we don't do, that we'll never do, that we don't intend to do. And that's okay. Let others do those bits. Phew. I'm glad that we finally have the okay to not do those bits. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alan. That was really deep. I, I think we need, to, we need to quote that last part within our show notes. That was actually pretty cool. I think I need to cry. No, I'm just kidding. But we both do quotes. <laughs> what are some things that you help the marketing team in terms of messaging, getting rid of buzzwords, fluff marketing, and anything else? Maybe even when it comes to email marketing and how you might have helped them do that better. Yeah, every single email campaign, the message got vetted with me. If you were a CISO, how would you respond? Oh, Dear Lord, don't send that. <laughs> there were a lot of those moments in the early stages. And towards the end, they were coming up with stuff that I was like, yeah, send it. And, and no edits whatsoever. And it went from being more verbose to being less verbose. There's little twists in all of this kind of messaging. You're there to solve a problem. You're assuming that the CISO has that problem. And now you're offering a solution to that problem, right? But you can't just walk in the door assuming the CISO has the problem because that's insulting, right? Oh, yeah, you don't have your endpoints under control by our EDR, right? <laughs> That's not the way to do it. You can't you can, so so you have to you have to hope they have the problem and you have to 
ask in a nice way, do you have the problem? That's kind of one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is, again, back to that don't beat your drum and say you're the only solution. Like, you know, oh, you're probably looking at the blah, blah space if you have this problem. We're a really strong contender and here's why. And acknowledge that there's a space and acknowledge that you're just a contender and not the one and only thing. Because again, CISO's going to look at that and be like, yeah, whatever. So, so don't beat them with the problem. Don't assume, you know, like I got, I got a message one time on LinkedIn, like I could not believe this. It, it was effectively, and I can't remember the exact phrasing, but the message was essentially, do you even care about security? <laughs> You're not using us, so you must not. Like it was something effectively like that. And I just was floored by how insulting it was. Like, no, no, I'm a CISO who's got no clue, no desire, no, you know, nah, whatever. I'm just, I'm just, you know, cash and paychecks. Um, <laughs> this is like, this is the pickup artistry of, of like security sales and sales. It's like, they're negging you. They're making exactly. you feel bad or something. It's exactly. really weird. I get stuff like that too. It's like, do you know how you're driving revenue or you're do you know how leads are getting to your website or like but even worse stuff than that i swear even yeah, much worse yeah it's negging yeah. that's exactly what it is it's negging well you know you're ugly but i suppose i'll get you a drink oh my god <laughs> <laughs> we said this isn't a rated a rated g podcast um, <laughs> i love um, that analogy that is the best <laughs> It's the best and the worst all at the same time. <laughs> so it's so really horrible. <laughs> don't do negging. Don't do yeah. blah 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 blah. Get to the point. Don't act like you're the one and only. Ask if the problem is there, and if the problem is there, check us out because we think we're pretty cool at this problem. Glad to meet and give you more details, or click here to see more details, or hey, here's a free thing for more details, or whatever it might be. Just keep it short, keep it sweet. You know, ask if they have the problem, offer yourself as a solution if they do, and move on. I've got an annual repost I put on LinkedIn every year uh, to the vendor community. Oh, yes. And, I'm familiar with that. Yes. One. And it's one. like, here's my here's my four rules of how to engage me, you know, on LinkedIn. Step one, indicate that you have in some way, shape, or form some clue of what I'm about. One of the funniest things about being a CISO at a vendor is how often I get pitches from competition. <laughs> Really? Oh, we see you're a CISO at TrustMap. You know, like you can tell they're just filling in the blanks on a, on a template, right? Like, do you, dear do you, CISO at TrustMap, do you care about security performance management? Yeah, we invented it. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so, so the you know, know who your audience is. Like, start there. You know, hey, like, Alan, I heard you on the podcast and I heard you talking about NDR and EDR. And maybe you need a solution for it. I don't, by the way. Please don't. I'm, I'm covered there. But, uh, you know, you get the idea. Like, I heard you talking about blah, blah. Maybe you're interested in blah, blah. Or, hey, I saw on the news your company just acquired such and such. Or you're about to be bought by so-and-so. Just something about the company, something about me, something that indicates you have some clue what's going on in my world. That's step one. Step two, here's who we are. I'm so-and-so from such-and-such, and and we solve this problem. Do you have this problem? If so, step three, here's why you should consider us. And have something measurable. You know, like, God forbid, Gartner Quadrant or Forster Wave or, you know, in a blind taste test, five out of seven monkeys decided we tasted better than the other product. Whatever it might be, just whatever stats and statistics and figures and sightings and, you know, 10 Fortune 100 companies use us or whatever it might be. Something to prove like, yeah, here's why you should check us out. Like, you know, so, hey, I see you're doing blah. Seems like you might have a problem with blah. If you do, we do blah. And we're cool because blah. And thank you for your time. And I will not stalk you. That's number four. <laughs> so what I took away just from all that, Alan, is that TrustMap tastes like bananas. Um, and <laughs> what do you... <laughs> <laughs> what do you suggest for those who aren't currently on like Forrester or Gartner Quadrants? What do you suggest yep. is a good alternative? So 
oftentimes you're not on the quadrant because you actually are doing something new and you actually are an innovator. This does occur. I've been poo-pooing this idea of real innovation, but it does exist. Sometimes you're a real innovator. The quadrants and the waves and the whatevers aren't going to pick you up if you're early enough in a thing. So there's that. Um, but other times it might be because you're literally number 14 in your space, right? Um, and guess what? You're number 14 in your space. At that point, the best thing to do in my mind is celebrity endorsements, right? Like <laughs> Fortune 100, you know, hey, we sold to such and such company and their name's on our website. They were actually willing to let us use their 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 name or, you know, CISO so-and-so who's established in the community. You know, we we really just hammered on that poor person until they finally agreed to say something nice about us. Whatever it might be. Come up with some kind of endorsements that you can is always a good one. And then anything you can do to get free community awareness around your name, just just free events like the whiskey tastings and the, and the cheese boards and the whatever might happen. If you can do all of that and show somebody the solution and get somebody to do a POC, and even if they haven't bought, if they're willing to say just the slightly nicest thing about I POC such and such and it didn't suck completely, you know, great, grab that, use that, like whatever you can get to stick on to your label that, that just shows endorsement, that shows somebody besides yourself thinks something positive about you. Ideally, somebody authoritative or, you know, big or, or pronounced or renowned or whatever it might be, but start where you can, right? I had never thought of getting a quote or even a case study for a POC. And that actually makes a lot of sense because a lot of times, even if POCs don't end up being a deal, they're not always because of something bad. It could mm-hmm. be budget. It could be timing, right? Yep. I just did a POC on a company whose solution I love that I'm not going to buy Huh. See? because it's not the right fit for me at this time, at this size company, at this space and time and, you know, the space time continuum and all that. It's not the right solution now, but it's a cool solution that I'm definitely going to keep in my back pocket. And at the next shop, I may well be calling them the day I walk in the door. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. We're humbled that, Alan, that you took the time to be with us today. We think of you as a cybersecurity celebrity. So <laughs> that's our endorsement for the society and for Gianna and I's personal brands. So thank you for talking to Woo-hoo. us today. Well, I'm glad you guys asked me to be here. Alan, will you please do a public testimonial for the society right now? <clears throat> I can attest as a member of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society that it is actually a top-notch, top-tier organization. Their Slack channel is useful, informative, and has allowed me to connect with peers and learn many things as I journeyed through the marketing world. Wow. On, on the spot, sounding like that? Jeez, this is, this is amazing. You didn't even say pay him for that. I, I do feel like that. We're going to pay you in swag. I think we'll have to send you a sweatshirt. There we go. And also, like, how did you just pull that out of the air with no ums? Oh, <laughs> brilliant. You were practicing, I guess. <laughs> oh, no, I just spend way too many hours with the microphone shoved in my face. I'm getting used to this at this point. Love it. Love it. So this is our game that we play at the end of every episode, if we remember. So basically, we are going to guess what you would be doing if you weren't in your current role. And for you, Alan, that's going to cover both being an InfoSec warrior and in marketing. Mm. I think, Alan, that you would sell eyeglasses out of the back of a car. Ooh. Hmm. Individual cigarettes, perhaps, in an alleyway oh, in New York City. <laughs> like Lucy's sunglasses. With, like yeah, really- sunglasses. Really cool sunglasses. With UV protection stickers on them, and there's no UV protection. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to say that. You added that. (laughs) Okay, my turn. 
if you weren't doing what you're doing today, you would be a high school football coach. A high school football coach. Interesting. Interesting. We, I don't think anyone's ever accused off? me of that before. I think I'm right, Maria. <laughs> is, so is Gianna right? I'm right. Oh, football coach, selling bootleg sunglasses off the sidewalk out of the back of my car. Whew. I'm going to go with football coach. <laughs> so, so what would you be doing, Alan? If the world was mine and I had unlimited resources and all those kinds of things and I could just do whatever the heck I felt like doing, I would probably play in a rock and roll band, write video games, shoot guns, and drive fast cars. I should have known about the gaming part. You were sharing that on, on our Slack. What do you game? I play RPGs mostly. When I have time, <laughs> I should emphasize that. Like somebody was actually like, oh, what game are you really into? And I went back and looked at the logs in Steam and how many hours I'd put in. I was like, wow, I put in a thousand hours on this one game. And then I did the math. I was like, but I've been playing it for six years. And I did the math and I was like, that's really not much time at all, is it? What is your favorite game? Path of Exile is probably my all-time favorite. That's the six-year one. Ones with incredibly complicated systems where you have to spend hours researching your character before you even do a single thing. And then you slowly develop your plan over time and then find out it was wrong. Start from scratch and go all over again and spend months and months and months pounding your forehead on the computer, hoping that you can actually build a viable character in this system you've been handed. And um, we call that fun in the RPG world. Huh. That's, that kind of sounds like life and, and, and self-discovery. You know, you go through phases and then you realize... You were the wrong person for so long. It's, <laughs> it's like being a CISO and, <laughs> and taking on CMO responsibilities. <laughs> That's you re-roll your character. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's it. What an amazing conversation, Alan. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. And I feel like that is like the sweetest end that we could possibly have to it. Alan, do people want to get in contact? How do they get in contact with you? Hit me up on LinkedIn. Alan Alford, A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D. I'm on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only one with that spelling. I'm slash IN slash Alan Alford anyway. If there's more that, that have come along and they've got numbers in their names. Hit me up there on Twitter. I'm Alan Alford, N-T-X, I-N-T-X, as in in Texas. Hit me up there. You can always find me at Hacker Valley Media at the Cyber Ranch Podcast. Awesome. And you can also find him in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society because he's our honorable CISO and has been a CMO. So he's a marketer. So thanks everybody for listening. If you want to be on the Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast, send a message to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com or visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com backslash podcast with no S. If you have any feedback for us, send a note to hey there at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and make sure to like and subscribe. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks everyone. See ya. Thank y'all.